Three months ago, an MP and survivor of domestic abuse was admitted to hospital following what she called a sustained campaign of misogynistic abuse and harassment from within her party. Weeks earlier, the party leadership had been warned that this would happen, and they did nothing. Apsana Begum always knew she had her work cut out for her. When she was first elected to Parliament in 2019, aged just 29, she was Britain's first hijabi MP and one of the few remaining socialists in the Labour Party. What Begum could never have predicted, however, was that from a trumped-up housing fraud trial to a corrupt trigger process, the Labour Party would enable her ex-husband to continue his abuse, pushing her to the brink. But if anyone thought that Apsana Begum would go quietly, they were mistaken. On the eve of Labour Party conference, the MP for Poplar and Limehouse returns to work, and this time she isn't staying silent. Apsana Begum, welcome to Downstream. Thank you, thank you for having me. So in June, you put out a statement saying that you've been signed off sick following what you described as a sustained campaign of misogynistic abuse and harassment. Tell us about the events leading up to that, which date, you know, all the way back to your former marriage. Yeah, I mean, uh, I got married in 2013 under very difficult circumstances. Uh, My father had just passed away about five months before that, and things were very difficult for me. I was... You know, uh, I revered my father um, and he was a really, really big inspiration for me in my life um, and in my politics. Um, but that relationship was very abusive and I was very isolated. I had no family. Um, I had a limited number of friends, but, you know, eventually they were threatened too. So that was a very lonely period of my life as well. Um, and, you know, I still remember the the... The weeks before I left and I escaped, I had to wait until he had an appointment outside of London to actually make the move. And in the morning, I just decided in the morning like that was going to be it. And I started packing things, but hiding it. But even leading up to that, I, you know, things had got so bad. And, you know, with the alcohol and, and the violent outbursts that I find myself even just, I was living in the living room going to work in the morning, but waiting just like to make sure he wasn't around or he wasn't awake. But, you know, sleeping with the sofa and the dining table backed up on the door because I just didn't want it to continue. And I I, I did fear for my life because there wasn't anybody there. I didn't have my own family. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was, yeah, there was no family. So I thought if something, if something was to happen, there'd be no witnesses. And, you know, things I've learned over the years after reading and after getting support, I've managed to understand it a bit more. Um, you know, the tactics and, and the things to draw somebody back in, um, to make them feel guilty about escaping um, or trying to escape, um, having your own needs and wanting your own needs to be met, whether that's just to be free of someone. Um, I think what's painful for me is just that, you know, you just I just want to be able to move on with my life now I'm 32 I just want to be able to move on from him and what he's doing but he my ex-husband has continued to carry out his actions and activities and through the means of the Labour Party yeah because this was a man that you met through your uh involvement with the Labour Party you were both working for the then mayor of Tower Hamlets look for Rahman a Labour mayor um, and he was a sitting councillor in the in the borough. Is that right? Um, at that time, he wasn't a sitting councillor. He was an activist. Okay. And I'd met him there. You're, you're correct. Um, I met him there in that office. He wasn't there very long, but he took a very keen interest in me. Um, you know, lobbied to stay in touch with me, um, and things progressed from there on. Um, seven years older than me, and you know. He was very manipulative from the beginning, but I was in some ways very young and inexperienced and I didn't, I wasn't able to see all those red flags at that time, which, you know, I try not to, you know, punish myself and feel guilty about, but there were red flags. I just couldn't see them. I couldn't see the way in which, you know, even before the time I married him, I was fully under his control. Mm. Um, 
and you know once you don't have that foundation you, your your family support is gone your foundation is not there and you're starting a new life you're you're isolated already from from any support networks any different perspective that might be able to help you get alerted mm-hmm. to what might be happening to you and it was only when i reached out to having therapy my the first therapist that i did have i told my ex-husband about and said i desperately need it because i was missing my family so much um my younger sister my mom in particular and um i just i just really needed help mm-hmm. i wasn't able to concentrate properly at work in the way you know i took a lot of pride in my work i couldn't concentrate as much as i wanted to and i could see it was really starting to affect me now mm-hmm. um but he was very reluctant for me to see the therapist that i chose to see um, because i felt that the the area in which they that expertise in was relevant to me you know and and you know i stopped seeing that therapist because my ex-husband was not happy mm-hmm. and he said i don't want you to see that it's a male therapist as well i don't want you to see that therapist mm-hmm. even the subsequent therapist that i saw i mean he tried to report her through to her regulators saying that she'd interfered uh-huh. but i saw light through the therapeutic support that i got mm-hmm. about the reality of my situation and the 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 violent outbursts the the alcohol ridden behaviors um the thumping on the door the throwing the utensils around the monitoring and the level in which i had to report around finances you know wasn't allowed to you know to share my passwords so wasn't you know i didn't have that basic independence like just i'm an individual too there wasn't mm-hmm. that element mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in that relationship and so therapy helped you to realize this and then you know a couple of years into your marriage you as you say you escaped um but that wasn't the end of it and as you say your husband continued to control you but this time through the means of the the local labor party can you tell us a little bit about that you know the process from leaving your husband right up until you're becoming selected and then elected as the mp for popular and limehouse and how your husband attempted to kind of uh <laughs> get back into and control your life through the party yeah i mean there was definitely a period of time where i was almost like on the run hiding um i eventually reconciled with my family but there was definitely a period of time where it was like i was off grid because i was so afraid of him finding me and you know the instances where he had followed me from work stopped me in public spaces tried to humiliate me um threatened to reveal things about me on so- his social media um things that i did eventually conjure up the courage to to go to the police about um after a period of time when i started engaging with labor party activities he suddenly one day turned up and i was just frozen turned know, up wow turned up in um he turned up in a meeting which wasn't uh, uh, a labor party meeting but it was a meeting of activists mm-hmm. he seemed to know everybody's name in the room um everyone got this weird feeling that he seemed to know me i didn't tell anybody who he was i was just too afraid and i was just in shock that he turned up and he found me um at that point maybe i just thought i just can't you know there's just nothing i'm going to be able to do to just get him away or get away from him but yes he continued his behavior mm-hmm. in various different ways and um culminating in when i decided to stand to the exit and i was an activist I was a member of the party I was my branch secretary I was the equalities officer of the uh, constituency labor party I was also secretary I became eventually then you know the trajectory of becoming more active and more involved I became the first British Bangladeshi woman secretary of the Tahamlets labor party mm-hmm. um and a couple of years after that um you know the 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 process is going to start to to select the MP and as soon as I you know put my name forward and put myself forward um his attacks really you know it was a level that i i still struggle to understand to this day because just of the viciousness and the venom that he had uh with it mm-hmm. um from i think the first uh hustings i ever did was the local momentum group he was there he refused to leave um he you know he had attacked me in a meeting um uh, when i was chairing a meeting he'd he'd um uh verbally abused me in in a meeting before that he refused to leave um in this meeting which was the hustings for for people to decide if they wanted to support me and um when i made public 
my application and that I'd applied uh, to, to, to stand as the candidate, um, he contacted uh, members of my campaign team with very clear messages that I need to step down, I need to not go through with this process, or things will come out about me, mm-hmm. and that he will tell the community, mm. um, the local community about me, the real Apsana, yeah. and that I'm not fit for office, and there's a whole history that, you know, people would be ashamed to learn mm-hmm. about when it came to me. At that time, I could think of maybe a few things that maybe, you know, people who hadn't really known me before may sort of, if they heard from him, might have some questions about that I was maybe ashamed about inside. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I've talked about this in when, when later on in the court yeah. courtroom about the abortion that I'd had, about my personal history. Yeah. Um, he threatened to share photos of you not wearing your headscarf. That's right. He he had he definitely had photos of me without my headscarf. He had some of my diaries. He had, you know, this was the person I was married to, the person I thought I was gonna spend the rest of my life with, person that I didn't recognise immediately as abusive. But, you know, there were things I still don't have I have not been able to gain possession of. Mm-hmm. Um you know that he still has a level of he owns a level of uh, the, the the vulnerability that I was in in those years, mm-hmm. um, and and so definitely like I I felt that you know those threats didn't make sense to me apart from he's got something on me that he wants to reveal and at no point did I ever think that there were these allegations that would then uh, you know come out about me about you know alleged uh, crimes of of housing fraud. What seemed to me to be the case was that he wanted to. He seemed. He appeared to be going around telling people that you know you don't know some you know you know I know things about her you don't know. Yeah. And these are really shameful things. And if you learnt about it, yeah. you know you'd be quite ashamed too. Yeah. And then obviously, as we know, you won the selection. You won the election. But that wasn't the end of it. In fact, uh, your ex-husband stepped up the campaign against you in quite a significant way. Uh, can you tell us a bit about the housing fraud trial that you were subjected to um, and your ex-husband's implication in that, as well as uh, you know his connections with uh, people who were involved in that prosecution, like the mayor, like yeah. you know the regional party and so on? The day that the nomination papers were due to be submitted to confirm me officially as the Labour Party's candidate, um, I received a call which uh, was from a journalist and who asked me to confirm things that wouldn't necessarily be publicly available widely, things that maybe, you know, I don't know, your ex-husband might have information around or maybe stored in a council somewhere, you know. I can't say for sure that these are the sources of where these things came from. But somebody's asking you to confirm your little sister's date of birth and your mum's name, it does definitely hit a spot of vulnerability. Mm. Um, and they said, you know, that I was being investigated for housing fraud. I'd not received anything to say that I was. I, I, My initial reaction was not to think of anything of it because by that time I'd had smear after smear, you know, allegation after allegation of all sorts, you know, being thrown at me in that selection election. So I, a lot of which, the core of which was my ex-husband. So I thought this is just another one of his games. I'm just going to ignore it and I'm just going to continue working. And it was a short election. But, you know, a complaint... Well, what we know now and what we know through the trial is that a complaint was put in by my ex-husband's brother-in-law. Um, for some reason, no one seemed to think that there might be a slight conflict of interest if by 2018 my ex-husband is a sitting Labour councillor in my constituency and, um, you know, he he's in a position of political oversight if he's, you know, sitting on the housing subcommittee, um, working with, uh, you know, the, the former mayor, John Biggs, um, who it's, you know, I don't share the same, uh, you know, political beliefs as in the Labour Party. There's no, um, there's, there's no hiding about the fact that I was very clear about my politics and advocating against austerity, against cuts that were being implemented nationally as well as locally, mm-hmm. um, well before I had any ideas or any ambitions to represent local constituents. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, Mayor John Biggs and I did not see eye to eye when it came to things like protecting our local public nurseries. So here are, here are two people, you know, in this scenario, and then the uh, the brother-in-law who puts in the complaint. Yeah. And as was said in the courtroom, you know, why did nobody who was investigating this, nobody, anybody who was investigating this at a council officer level, a, a council bureaucrat, 
why did they not question the independency of this or whether it needed to, if there were conflicts of interest, really obvious conflicts of interest in the way in which this case was being investigated mm-hmm. and the allegations were being put forward. Um, and I think that rests quite heavy with me, but I think it rests heavy partly because we're talking about, you know, it was the Labour-run council. Yeah. Um, and at that time, I didn't, I wasn't reached out to by, you know, the Labour leadership. Um, there was silence. Um, yeah. And, you know, there was no support that came in either mm-hmm. at that time. Even though I imagine you must have been really suffering psychologically from this drawn out process that lasted over a year, I think, from the time that you first were notified to the to the trial itself. Um, so you had n- no support whatsoever from the from the Labour leadership. I mean, I'm grateful for my office team, my campaign team, local many local members, um, many members of the local community, you know, refuge, women's aid, uh, Samaritans, you know, like things were so bad for me mm. that you do consider, you know, the prospect of being thrown into prison and just you, your whole life kind of stops. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were real moments definitely of, yeah, like, you know, you, you contact the Samaritans because you, you might not want to live anymore. Gosh. Um, and I saw that happening to me. And I, I, I think what that case brought up for me was just the sheer, you know, it was the sheer venom and the sheer viciousness in the way in which it was pursued. Um, and the fact that, you know, we are talking about these, this case, which was riddled, riddled with assumptions and biases about ethnic minority communities, about women, about domestic abuse survivors. But the heart of it was, again, it was my ex-husband. Mm. And in the end, you know, the the you were cleared of all charges. They were found to be kind of unfounded. Um, how did you feel when you got that verdict? I had a sense of, of course, a sense of relief, and I felt a relief for for local people. But I do despair sometimes about, you know, the the way in which, you know, people are treated, and who knows who else is going through a process like this in the local council. I might have had, you know, a pr- pr- privilege in in maybe by the time of becoming an MP, a, a social capital, and and people I could say, you know, what's happening? Can you help me? Mm-hmm. But local people might not necessarily have that 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 network. Yeah. Or, or that ability to to be able to say like you know this this is what's happening and it's wrong and and how how is the council sort of got these vested powers where they can try and prosecute you and then throw you into prison for you know like jail sentences of like ten years, mm-hmm. um, but I think it does for me you know I think a lot of constituents have said to me you know that the Labour Party has got questions to answer on this how yeah. did a Labour run council do this what was the national leadership doing and saying throughout this entire period. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do you see any echoes between what happened to you and, you know, the trial of Lutfa Rahman all those years ago um, and the kind of underlying, as you say, prejudices and Islamophobia that might motivate um, some of that, you know, legal action? I think it's what's very clear is that what has happened to me up to now has happened to me because I'm a socialist Muslim woman, Bangladeshi woman, um, I think one wrote a member of the party who has become the MP. Um, that is why this has happened to me. Mm-hmm. I don't see any other reason why it's, it's 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 happened to me. I don't see any other reason why I'm being treated so awfully uh, by the Labour Party the hierarchy, the leadership, um, and how you know I can be treated in this way. But there can be more sympathy and more care. Um, and more attention given to the well-being of 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 other MPs, not from the other Labour Party MPs that are not from the same background as me. Mm-hmm. I don't know how anybody could look at this situation and say that it is what is happening to me is happening for any other reason other than factional desire mm-hmm. and factional desire outweighing, you know, the the common decency, the basic decency, um, basic human rights of of somebody from my background. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know what I will say is this: I, I think. We have to look at who gets support and who doesn't get support and why people get some people get support and why other people don't get support. And, you know, it's very clear to me that I haven't got support despite the fact that, you know, because of my background and because of, of the fact that I'm from, uh, you know, minority background, I'm part, you know, I'm the first hijabering MP in parliament. You would think that there would be more support provided, even more than the, the average, average person in the Labour Party 
coming up as an MP from, you know, the grassroots local, you know, file and rank of the Labour Party, becoming the MP, think that there'd be more support. But it's been the exact opposite. It's been even less than, you know, somebody who isn't from these backgrounds who isn't going to face the kind of challenges in public life mm-hmm. that I would, mm-hmm. um, given the way I look yeah. and, and the background that I'm from. Do you think that it's kind of neglect? Do you see it as like an oversight on the Labour Party's part? Or do you think that it's something more active and deliberate? Look, I, I think there are definitely things that need to be improved on. So I, I when I gave my maiden speech and it was on International Women's Day, I talked about, you know, the Labour Party's track record, a proud track record and history on um, the rights of women and women's rights and and. And I, I, I'm, I'm proud of that history, but you know what's happened to me makes me question that record. Um, and I think that, you know, of course, there's things to do. There, there are areas that need to be worked on. You know, we need a domestic abuse policy in the party. A sexual harassment procedure is not sufficient to um, to it doesn't apply. You know, the same way necessarily. It's sometimes an overlap. Sometimes isn't. Um, you know, to uh, to domestic abuse survivors. So there is that work to be done. Um, you know, there are experts by experience. There are expert organisations. There are members with lived experience who can help inform these gaps in policy. But I'm very clear about that. There is that. But this, this what has happened to me is, is a factional battle. It's happening because, you know, I'm seen and I, I am viewed as a problem because I supported Jeremy Corbyn to be leader. I'm a socialist. That is who I am. That is why I advocate on behalf of my constituents who elected me to do that. You know, I, I represent a seat where against the, the, the tide of losses in the last general election, I increased Labour's majority in, in, in the seat that I represent, which, you know, is a sign that people wanted to see the policies that we had in the 2019 manifesto delivered. Mm. Um, and that's the platform that I stand on. So I, I can't, I, I, what is happening is is as a result of of a factional battle that is being played out in the party and Poplar Nymhaz and me as the MP is, is the site of that battle. It is a site of what the Ford report has talked about mm. um, and has warned about and has said should not happen. That is what is happening here. Mm. Just to go back to the history, you know, we've brought you up to the trial where you were cleared after a spurious allegation made against you by your ex-husband's brother-in-law. Um, the fallout of that for you psychologically, it sounds like, has been pretty massive. Um, and then, you know, then we get to the trigger process, which precipitates your departure from politics, temporary departure from politics. It now transpires this year. Um, can you tell us about, you know, what happened there um, and how the Labour Party, um, both locally and nationally, has been involved in, in what's happened? I mean, certainly after the trial, I, you know, I've continued to engage in, in the Labour Party's complaints process, specifically the one around sexual harassment. Um, and, you know, like the average domestic abuse survivor, maybe you know, you'd go in with this bit of a cynical hat about how much justice that can that can bring you. And and I've not felt the protection from my party um, against my ex-husband. Quite the opposite, I feel like he's being facilitated to continue his abuse and harassment of me. I think the Labour Party have played such a bad role in doing that. I don't think they've just allowed it to happen. I think they are doing that to me. Um, and I think the Labour, London Labour Party are extremely compl- complicit in that um, mm. because that's what it appears to me to be a facilitation of him at the core of a reselection and trigger process mm-hmm. uh, to ask me to take me down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so every MP, as we know, in between general elections within the Labour Party is subject to a trigger process where local members are allowed to decide whether or not they want to keep the MP um, or put them up for a kind of competitive process alongside other candidates. Sometimes that procedure is waived, as it was in 2019, I believe, with the um, with Ellie Reeves, um, sister of Rachel Reeves, who was pregnant at the time, called been intervened to uh, waive her reselection process. Um, but with you, you know, this this hasn't been waived. And on the contrary, it's been allowed to go ahead. Um, can you tell us a little bit about, yeah, you, you know, your ex-husband, who, as you say, remains very influential in the local area and in the CLP, um, his involvement in that and, and how some of that has obviously um, not been 
not been conducted according to Labour Party processes. Yeah. I mean, I have given like so much evidence to the Labour Party, you know, things that I had to get special permission from the courts to disclose to the Labour Party, evidence after evidence, witness statements, you know, to, to outline how my ex-husband you know, carried out his abuse and then furthered it um, as a member of the party. Um, and yet he still is able to continue and is able to play a leading role in this trigger ballot process. I think partly because he's being actively facilitated by other members in uh, the, the, the the local and national and regional party. I can't, I, I, you know, the, the evidence is there is very obvious who his allies are and who he's, you know, whose weddings he's going to, mm -hmm. you know, who's, who he's photographed with. Mm -hmm. um, he was still, you know, as a suspended member, photographed with Mayor John Biggs just before the local elections concluded this year. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, I, I've, you know, that is difficult to digest to see that a Labour Party at any level can can allow, whilst somebody's being investigated, suspended because they are seen to be a safeguarding threat, you know, a risk of harm to myself or to others to be seen fit to be campaigning with the mayoral candidate for the Labour Party in the right. local elections. Right. So I think the evidences are there very clearly um, about how, you know, his allies and those with significant influence at various levels at the party from the local regional to right the way to the national are you know facilitating him um and making him part of uh the 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 target that i am to to, to oust me mm -hmm. and, you know and that is why i see that i am i am this target to 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 be got rid of mm -hmm. um using mm -hmm. my ex-husband and i think there can be you know there are you know the depths of immorality to 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 engage with to 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 do that but it's happening right in front of our eyes yeah yeah and you know the trigger process has been subject to dozens of complaints um ranging from you know vote rigging to other kinds of kind of rule-breaking activity uh, why do you think the parties allowed that to go ahead you know the, not only that obviously half of the process was conducted whilst you were off sick, something that the party actually denied. They denied having even received a sick note from you um, in the beginning and then eventually conceded that they had. Why do you think the party has allowed this process, which has been subject to so many complaints and half of which took place when you weren't even able to, to, to campaign, to go ahead? I mean, I think, um, you know, Engaging with the Labour Party's sexual harassment procedure, which didn't feel like was the right procedure for me to engage with, before going on trial, during the trial, after the trial, and then less than a year later, undergoing the reselection process with my ex-husband at the heart of it, I, I think it probably would. I think it's fair to say, like, would kill anybody, you know, over, and it finally caught up with me. You know, I just couldn't react and accept what was happening and, and therefore something gave way. Why the party can allow that to happen? Yeah, it's really, um, it's a good question. It's really inhumane um, to allow it to happen. But as you, I mean, as has been mentioned, I've mentioned it before as well. I mean, when Jeremy was leader, he, when Jeremy Corbyn was leader, he, there wasn't a precedent around people who were pregnant, but it got made as a result of Eddie Reeves um, uh, being pregnant, uh, I just, the question does come up definitely like, well, why is this allowed to happen? And I, I genuinely think that if if the left were in power in the party, they would not, you know, they would be able to suspend factionalism and, and apply basic courtesy mm -hmm. in this. And so, the fact that it hasn't been applied in this process, the fact that the process wasn't what was allowed to continue, was so, I, you know, pleading and saying like I I can't participate, I it can't expect me to keep facing my ex-husband like this. Please like stop this right now. Like just you know, it tells me that it's it's for factional reasons. Mm -hmm. It's more important to oust somebody like me because of my politics because of my social disbeliefs, because of the background that, I'm, that I have, because of the way I look, it's more important to factionally oust me than it is to, you know, apply any sense of decency or mercy in the situation. And that's, 
quite hard to it's quite hard to digest that because it really um I think about what it means for local constituents from the same background as me and others that are not from the same background as me that we can get treated so badly. I wasn't naive to the cut and thrust of politics and what it entails. We've, we locally know how we've had bad policies, you know, applied to us exceptionally over the over the last few decades, even by the Labour Party. But um, I think the reality of it still hits quite hard that you know, above everything, was this idea that I must be ousted because of my political beliefs yeah. and um, just for being socialist, mm -hmm. just for being Muslim, just for being Bangladeshi woman, mm -hmm. hijab wearing woman, like this this is what it is mm -hmm. telling mm -hmm. me right now. You know, your statement is very strongly worded about the experiences that you've had in the Labour Party. Did you get a call from Keir Starmer after you publicly announced that you were off sick? No, nothing from Keir, nothing from Angela. Yeah. Have you had any contact with them since then? Nothing from them. Um, nothing. I, I reached out to David Evans, the leader's office. I believe my family contacted when I, I just I, I didn't have my phone on me. So I, my sisters have informed me that they've they reached out at various different levels. The Labour Party chair, the uh, the leader's office, the leader. <laughs> Here, um, David Evans, and it's in any other scenario, the phone would definitely be picked up. Mm -hmm. There would be a response, there would be a reply, there would be just, you know, um, a concern. Yeah. You know, in the same way that I've, you know, I've, I've shown concern when I've had colleagues, you know, in the Labour Party come out on the dispatch box and say that they're survivors of domestic abuse and they've had bad experiences you know i've reached out to them they're not you know they're not necessarily their politi political beliefs don't reflect exactly exactly the same as mine but that is you know you extend your hand out mm. to support others in that way have members of other parties been supportive of you where um, the labor leadership hasn't yeah i mean i think definitely before my trial i've i had tory mps some tory mps reach out um, I have, as I understand, I think a few of the Tory MPs have reached out to my office after I've gone off sick. Um, so there has been, yeah, some solidarity and some concern expressed um, mm. from from Tory leaks. How does it feel to work for a party that doesn't pick up the phone when you say that you're, you know, you've, you've basically broken down after a campaign of misogynistic abuse? Um, I think it's, yeah, it's really hard to take that because, you know, going into public life, coming from the background that I'm from, you know, we're always going to face challenges on a national platform. You know, Islamophobia is rampant in society. It's it's getting worse. You know, Antisemitism is getting worse. It's it, these the, you know, hate crimes are on the rise. Religiously motivated hate crimes are on the rise. So I... I probably one of the ones that probably needed more support than others because of the background that I was coming from. And, you know, I've not felt that support come through from the party. It's been the opposite. Mm. You know, it's like being thrown to the wolves and, and you know, having every level of, every type and every level of attack, you know, come at you. You know, I still remember, you know, that the, the type of reporting that there was, you know, before the trial concluded, um, you know, the warnings that were issued, you know, the, the, the judge issuing warnings to the press, about reporting matters in a way as though I was already convicted. Um, after I cleared my name, um, or before I cleared my name, but the 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 safety warnings, the the police being contacted, the death threats, the the judge saying I need to leave through the back of the courtroom, um, things like that. You know, th th these are times when you need to be reached out, not just by your colleagues but your leader. Yeah. Do you think Kirstama would have sat back and let the worst happen? I think that's where things were heading. That's definitely where things were heading. Um, I could, you know, I could have been thrown into prison for ten years. Mm -hmm. um, that's where things were heading, and I, I did not feel any sense of support coming through that was in any shape or form meaningful in that period and since. Um, 
and and so when you see what is happening with my ex-husband at the heart of the process and you sort of see all the people around him at every single level then you know that this is being done you know you i'm being targeted mm. i'm being targeted by the labor party i'm being targeted to be removed as the mp for popranam as as the labor party candidate in the next general election mm. because i'm a socialist because of my politics because i'm a muslim woman of bangladeshi origin i i'm being i'm working class um and they don't want us to represent people yeah that yeah. are like us in parliament yeah well so it sounds like you've been raising the alarm for a number of years now do you feel like you've been taken seriously by the labor party as a survivor of domestic abuse i've lost confidence now in this complaints process which is now taking a year and a half i've been very lucky to have the support of an independent domestic violence advocate who's literally held my hand through the process um uh, and uh, you know uh, there whilst the complaint is being investigated there are multiple things that are happening um in that period as well so of course you know responders got to reply you know things are got to be investigated what do i do mm-hmm. about the fact that i've got a local businessman that calls me up after my trial happens to be the day after my ex-husband is handed something as part of this complaints process so i'm supposed to believe there's no coincidence in this at all but calls me up this local businessman and says to me back off the local mayor of Tower Hamlets back off John Biggs and i'm saying why what what is it i've done so you know you're too critical of him you know you need to back off if you don't you know he's come and seen me yesterday and i said well, what was he come and seen you about he said he came with an envelope from your ex-husband you know wow. and that was a real threat yeah and i reported that to the party as well when it happened last year after the trial mm-hmm. uh, it was around the time when my ex-husband was uh, he had his suspension removed um and that was deemed as a, 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 apparently because he was no longer a threat providing a threat of immediate harm to myself or others actually in the period after the trial was reminded me pretty much of like the period just after i left my ex-husband you know when people say domestic mm-hmm. abuse survivors you the most dangerous period in your life is when you leave or when you escape mm-hmm. you know when i came out of that trial i felt like my life was at risk Mm-hmm. because of what i had to say i was cross examined on domestic abuse in the courtroom you know i had to say things that i didn't want to ever have to say but i had to say it mm-hmm. you know i had to say this is what's happening can people join the dots here this is very unusual how can how can it be that my ex-husband's brother-in-law puts in a complaint that leads to an investigation where apparently domestic abuse has no bearing on the case whatsoever nothing in terms of the investigation picked up about how domestic abuse may play a part in this or how it could have a bearing what the consequences could be nothing in terms of like is she at risk right now um whilst my ex-husband is a sitting councillor a sitting labor councillor in a labor run council um sitting in the housing uh, subcommittee and where his brother-in-law puts in a complaint and had attended um fraud committee meetings and that there's nobody that's that's saying that there's any conflict of interest mm-hmm. um and and i felt very vulnerable after that after that trial um mm. because i had spoken out I, i i had to speak out and i had to say this is what has been going on mm-hmm. i mean you mentioned the independent domestic violence um advocate that you've um been working with and you know obviously we reported a few weeks ago about how that advocate wrote to Keir Starmer and David Evans telling them that the trigger process that you were going through was effectively an extension of the abuse that you'd suffered because um of the people involved in it many of whom are associates of your ex-husband um and as we know he did nothing about it um why do you think that is i've i've i also reached out to david evans directly i i alerted lots of people in the party about what's happening and about this process which i still to this day don't seem to know the full breakdown of the results for i'm i'm just getting back into things in terms of my work but i'm i'm very aware that i don't know you know what what the returns were in that trigger ballot process nobody will give it to me in the party but what i will say is this i think in terms of why this is happening to me you know and and why no one's doing anything about it i mean we've we've just come out of the ford report being released and that talks about factionalism you know i think it's I think what has happened here I think it is it's a real stain it's a real you know 
it's crushed any sense of decency and humanity what has happened to me and i fear for you know muslim members muslim women members ethnic minority members black women you know who are also members of this party um because of what i have gone through i cannot turn around to them and say it's a safe place to be right now in the party i hope that can change and I, when i spoke in when i delivered my maiden speech on international women's day i spoke about my party's you know track record on women's rights but i can't look at the situation with what's happened to me and confidently say that it is safe to be a an ethnic minority woman in the labor party right now and i think the ford report has highlighted that as well um i think you know i look back at when jeremy corbyn was leader i can't i honestly cannot imagine a scenario and you know there's instances where he, there wasn't precedent um but you know the, 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 but the precedent was made when as far as i understand you know women members of the, of, of of the plp were um were, were were granted exceptions or processes were paused because they they were pregnant yeah Ali that Reeves. hasn't yeah uh, yeah and that hasn't applied in this scenario when i am saying i cannot function anymore i've signed off sick i can't even can't even get to my laptop i can't do any work um and that hasn't applied and you know i think what i am saying here is this it you know factionalism has been used as a tool against me as a muslim ethnic minority woman to take me out mm-hmm. and my ex-husband has been used to carry that out Mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. how awful this is mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean so would you go as far as to say that Keir Starmer has been complicit in your abuse I think and I've not had anything from him I've not he's not reached out to me in this process I don't know why there would not be any basic level of decency and humanity in this scenario um, I've had other colleagues come out about their experiences of domestic abuse who I've reached out to Anna McMorrin for example spoke as a shadow minister for safeguarding um and 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 revealed at the dispatch box that she'd she'd experienced domestic abuse i don't you know i, I think the only reason why that level of decency cannot be applied to me from my leader is because of you know the factional desires are far are far more important apparently and outweigh you know uh, the basic human rights of a a, a working class muslim bangladeshi as a minority woman who's an mp mm. Do you think Keir Starmer is fit to lead a Labour Party that's supposed to represent and defend people exactly like you? I think we can look at what's happening in this country and we can look at who the most vulnerable are in our society and as we're seeing, you know, even with most recent uh, by-election result in Bolton, there is a breakdown of trust um among ethnic minority communities and the Labour Party. You know, the policy positions that have changed over the last 2 years has been difficult. for people to comprehend to 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 digest and to and to believe that they can continue to support labor in the current scenario it's not good enough to rely on ethnic minority communities for donations for funding to rely on certain uh industries uh that the ethnic minority communities in this country are well represented in whether that's the caging industry or other you know business industries where we thrive in um and to use that as a means to bat off criticism um and bat off any 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 insinuation that there is a real problem here people are not having their basic human rights met um and members including as we as we, as we know with jewish members in the way in which they've been expelled from from the party this is a real problem and and you know poplar and limehouse is a constituency which has huge amounts of poverty um and a very diverse um uh, set of communities um and i do believe it is now the site unfortunately through this factional battle it is now the site of the ford report and what has come out of the ford report the battle is happening there and it's almost like an existential crisis for black asian and ethnic minority members now in the labor party can they stay will they stay will they be ousted will will, will they see their mp you know continue to be um uh, you know attacked in this way relentlessly why do you know why was it even on the table that she should be you know thrown into prison mm-hmm. they can't accept that Mhm. You mentioned human rights just then. I wrote to the chair of the Joint House Committee on Human Rights, Harriet Harman, your colleague in the Labour Party. I also wrote to Jess Phillips, who as you know is the shadow minister for domestic violence, um asking them to comment on, you know, the Labour Party's treatment of you and in particular the uh revelations that that Navarro made about um 
the, the correspondence between a domestic violence expert and Keir Starmer and David Evans, and neither of them would condemn the Labour Party's treatment of you. Do you feel betrayed by, you know, feminist figureheads of the parliamentary Labour Party? I think there's definitely, you know, a hierarchy in the way in which people's concerns are are heard and the way in which people are supported. I definitely feel um, alongside, I, I'm sure, many of my Black and um, Asian sisters in the PLP that, um, you know, when we are alerting the party and when we are saying things are happening to us and we need support, that support is not coming through. Mm. Um, in terms, you mentioned Jess Phillips. Jess Phillips, um, I reached out to and she reached out to me. Um, at various points, she did make representations to the party, uh, but I'm just getting back into things right now. So I've got to catch up with her and find out where things are at. Um, mm. And I'll be doing that over the next few weeks. Do you think there's been a reluctance from certain members of the parliamentary party to make public representations where they might have made representations in private? I've definitely had, I understand from my team that quite a few people that reached out. I mean, I, I actually, I, I don't know to, to what degree because I'm, I didn't have my phone on me um, for quite of the last few weeks um, and I'm just getting back and catching up on things. I think there's been a lot of, you know, expressions of support from all parts of um, the Parliamentary Labour Party, um, including Tory, um, but also Tory colleagues as well. Um, some who are survivors of domestic abuse themselves were horrified to hear what what was happening, expressing concern and saying that, you know, there needs to be, like I've I've said in the past as well, and, you know, Refuge and Women's Aid have said in the past as well, that we've got work to do as political parties in terms of tackling domestic abuse mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. There need to be policies that are robust, that can protect members, um, you know, from each other where, where these situations and incidents occur. Mm -hmm. um, but yes, I mean, I'm still catching up, so I don't know to to, to what degree, but I think, um, yeah, I think, I think there has been a stop like a, a gap or or a point in which some people stop in terms of uh public statements of, mm. of support and i think that still again points you know back to what what you asked me earlier around you know do factional desires that way you know common decency and humanity you know i am a human being i'm, I'm the mp and i i believe you know that i should engage in the you know the, the cut and thrust of politics um but i am you know, I'm either being thrown into prison or I'm being made to feel ill or I'm being harangued, you know, through, through misogynistic attacks. Um, there has to be a level here that is the same for everyone. When you've tried to raise this issue to national media and kind of, you know, ring the alarm about what's happening to you, what kind of response have you had? You know, I haven't seen a huge number of stories in the national press. Have editors been interested in your story? Have, you know, have you attempted to kind of, um, raise the profile of it and what response have you got? I think definitely throughout the last two years, I still remember sort of trying to reach out for broadcast pictures around Islamophobia Awareness Month and, you know, almost like a blanket sort of no or blanket um, silence from, from most of the mainstream media outlets. Um, but, I mean, I definitely see what I was navigating in the lead up to the trial when those allegations emerged and, and were then made public. And there seemed to be one, a a steady stream of information being given to the press. I don't know from where, but some of those pieces of information did, later did come up in the courtroom, but I was just flabbergasted as to how the press got hold of, you know, information that would only ever be really stored securely somewhere. Um, and the reporting seemed to be, and the online social media, you know, abuse, Islamophobic, racist abuse, you know, the media have a responsibility to report the truth, but but all of these things sort of very much verged on 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 untruth, on 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 false allegations, on on insinuating that you know that you know this is how Muslim people are. Mm. Can't be trusted with money. Yeah. This is a financial case. This is about yeah. fraud. Or just ignoring you know ignoring the case altogether. And like um, you know when when similar things happened, when for example Luciana Berger left. The party um, in 2019, after what she described as a campaign of anti-Semitic abuse, you know, this precipitated a huge national scandal, and the, you know, was one of the major catalysts for the formation of a new political party. Um, but de definitely, definitely, after the trial concluded, yeah. I, I definitely saw, you know, when my side was going to be printed finally, when I could finally properly speak out, it, you know, it was all when where they did report, there was always this caveat 
you know, this caveat that they would publish alongside it, which was my ex-husband's statement. No interrogation of his statement and what he's saying in that, just that there must be these two sides to the story, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which was really hard to, to contend with, absolutely, because it's almost still giving air to somebody who's carried out abuse. Mm. So, you know, un, you know, not interrogating that, not questioning that, but just publishing that as a caveat. You know that's that that was quite painful, definitely mm. after the, after the trial. Mm. Do you think the Labour leadership expected that after everything you you've been through, that you would just kind of quietly disappear from politics? Oh, definitely. I think in in a lot of ways, I, I think the expectation that people like us just won't be able to tolerate this level of distress and, you know, leaving is a safer option. You know, the safety of a community that can hold you. A locality that can embrace you. Um, you know, I still remember one or two people, you know, with like who real supporters of mine, you know, did on my journey to becoming the MP saying, you know, they're going to, you know, they're probably going to, like, it's going to be hard. You know, national level, national platform is going to be hard. And you're the first hijab bringing MP, it's going to be hard. Um, so, yeah, I think there's a degree that I, I think in which you know, anybody facing this level of attack, you know, the the party hierarchy and the leadership may just think, well, you know what, this this all keeps going and and she's going to break and she's going to disappear and go away. Mm. Um, But I have a responsibility to to local people. They put me there, they put me in this position. Um, And what has happened to me has not just happened to me, it happened to them. And that's what I feel responsible about. You know, I've mentioned before, I... You know, do I think what happened, you know, what other people are going through in if they have false allegations put against them of, of housing fraud and, and what they have to endure um as a result of it or as a result of that. Um, you know, and and people want you know their political voice. They want their political voice. That is why they elected me to fulfil that. I was I was a vessel through which they could fulfil their political ambition. And we're talking about, you know, in an area where, you know, we've had bad policies applied exceptionally to us, you know, special measures for 20 years. You know, my father's generation of of activists who were denied the right to join the Labour Party because they were told the party was full, you know, and and they're not willing to just be silenced. I'm not willing to be silenced for that reason. You mentioned the Ford report earlier, and in response to it, Keir Starmer put out a statement saying, you know, this was a Corbyn problem, Labour's under new management, we don't have the same problems with racism and so on that beset my predecessor. What do you make of those kind of claims that Labour is a different party to the one that it was? It's a different party (laughs) than the one that was under Jeremy Corbyn, which was trying to empower people uh, you know, people-powered democracy and, and greater democratization of the Labour Party. That's, in my view, what Corbynism was about. Um, what we now have is a top-down um, approach, which is silencing uh, members. That is what is happening, silencing members and stopping people from speaking out. I'm not going to be one of those people that is going to be silenced about my experiences and the way in which I view what has happened up to now, which is the use of uh, my ex-husband and empowering him to continue his abuse and harassment to get rid of me for factional purposes. The statement from the leader of the Labour Party um, is is the exact opposite of what the Ford report was talking about. Um, but one thing I will say about the Ford report is that the Ford report does talk about the toll and the well-being of of people that have been impacted by all those things that happened. You know, we talk about Diane Abbott and the abuse that she has suffered, but, you know, she faces abuse relentlessly um, in the public, um, you know, and, and and that is something that she has to contend with every single day. But but to face it from party officials, people that are supposed to be on your side, or even acting as the Ford Report recommends, you know, acting like civil servants, really, that didn't happen. The impact of that can be very long can be long lasting and i think you know the ford report mentions that for a reason because what is happening is having an impact on so what continues to happen in the name in, in the name of factionalism um is having such a huge impact on you know people who come from diverse backgrounds mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i mean what do you want keir starmer and the labor party to do for you at this point is it waive the selection process is it other kinds of support, like tell us what you want from them. I think the trigger ballot process has to be ruled out of order. 
you know, very simple because, you know, as I've mentioned, you know, there are serious allegations here about, you know, of electoral fraud, of bribery, of, of harassment, intimidation. Um, and I think, you know, uh, you know, there, there is, people have all sorts of experiences in society of, of misogyny and of, of, of um, abuse, of harassment, of intimidation. We are in a privileged position to do something about it as a political party. So that the work has got to start here before we go out and and you know uh, advocate to the rest of the country that we are a party fit to govern. So there is work to be done here. I think the work can be done, um, but I think in in my situation itself, of course, the trigger ballot process needs to be ruled out of order. Mm-hmm. Um, I I'll give you another example. I mean, Amy Fordy, the London Regional Director. Um, I contacted them along with my agent contacted them, you know, to confirm just the basics of the trigger process. You know, can you confirm the name of the affiliates to my local uh, constituency Labour Party? They were confirmed at the start start of the process. I asked again, I think two two times further um, to confirm that list. And she she wrote back and she said, this is the list. There is no, no questions about it. This is the list and this is the list that we're working on. Halfway through the process, of course, that changes, and apparently there are two new affiliates mm-hmm. to to my local COP that I wasn't aware of, and and you know the man rushed to get materials for for those members. So there are serious breaches, uh, that, you know, allegations of serious breaches that need to be investigated here at all levels. Um, and you know the my ex husband, his allies sit very firmly in in the way in which they're operating with the London Re- Regional um, Labour Party. And that needs itself to be investigated in full um, because I see all of that treatment to be as part of one big operation here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, we spoke a lot or, you know, the media spoke a lot during Corbyn's tenure about a, an anti-Semitism crisis. Do you think there should be a, a crisis around the, the experience that you've had and, and the treatment of people of colour, women and other kinds of groups within the Labour Party? I think, yeah, I, I, I do. Because I, I think those of us that are going through experiences like this are not just going to be sitting at home doing nothing. We will be active and we will be activists in some form or other. So so it's not something that they can just ignore and think it's going to go away. Um, you know, those um, women, the, 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 the black and ethnic minority uh, members, um, the Jewish members, they, they're not going to go away. They are going to be, you know, wanting and they're wanting justice of, of some form and, and fairness in some form. So I think it's imperative for the Labour Party to really start dealing with this now. And, and not think that this is, you know, a a good electoral strategy to to just completely, um, uh, you know, ignore and, and disown um, these communities. I mm. think it could have quite negative, serious consequences in, in lead up to a general election, for example. You know, your work clearly isn't done. That's why you've returned to politics. What is it that you hope to achieve in the next months, year, as the MP for Poplar and Limehouse? I think, firstly, I mean, just going back to, you know, really represent my constituents and, you know, the cost of living crisis is something that is really, really impacting local people. It's pretty unprecedented in the way in which it's affecting local people. I mean, like this time last year, I was speaking to constituents about you know, the universal credit uplift and, and, and uh, you know, how cuts were, were impacting them. Um, now it's almost like, you know, at the point of despair for people, um, not knowing how they are going to be able to cope and survive through this winter period. Um, you know, if I look back at when, when, uh, if I look back at the 2019 uh, manifesto and at the heart of it was nationalisation of the energy sector and, and other sectors, um, you know, that was the direction we needed to go then. And now if I look at the situation, you know, we need to go even further in that direction more than before. Um, and so I want to be a part of advocating for that on behalf of local people. And that that is my, my focus. Um, and that is going to be my focus. I think more broadly, I think, um, you know, I will continue to campaign around domestic abuse. I will continue to, to 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 talk about the issues that are affecting members and not accept the kind of treatment that, that people are having to, to endure. That is going to be a core cool part of my um, uh, my work going forward as well. Absalana Begum, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you.